0: this morning, uh, I wanted to share with you on uh, a topic, a a principle uh, that as I have researched the scriptures and read the word of God, that it has popped out to me over and over and over again. You know, as, as we think about the, the Word of uh, of God, it, we understand that it is living, breathing, and active, which means that every time that I get into the Word and the Word of God gets into me, it begins to transform, change, fix, heal stuff that I didn't even know was broken as God, by His Spirit, does His best work through His revealed Word. But we also understand that although the Scripture is living, breathing, and active, it is also a closed canon. Meaning we got the books that we got. Genesis through Revelation. 66 books. 40 authors. The Word of God for our lives today. It's actually one of the primary theological difference between the way that Christians view the Word of God and the Mormon cult views the Word of God. They believe in an open canon of revelation. Now listen, if you ever show up at this church and I preach on a Sunday morning that I found a golden tablet in the woods and God gave me a supernatural pair of binoculars by which I have translated an ancient language that nobody has ever known before and now I'm preaching out of the book of First and Second Russell You got real reason to be concerned. Now, we believe in a closed canon that what God said, God is still saying. He hasn't changed his mind. He don't need a rewrite. He doesn't need an editor to come in and soften this here and add that here. No, this is the word of God. But because it's a closed canon, that means that this is precious real estate. So that when you see a pattern, a topic, a principle, an application that is replete throughout the text from old unto new covenant, it's like the Spirit of God is shouting at you, pay attention to this thing. And one of the great tragedies of public communication today is that so many preachers, they will shout where the scripture whispers and then whisper where it shouts. What I want to do as I diligently divide the word of truth and then try to exegete it in a fashion that honors the context in which it was written and church history and theological nuance and what God by His Spirit would speak to us today is that I try to put exclamation points only where the Scripture puts exclamation points. What I'm here to tell you this morning is that I've discovered an exclamation point I'm going to read to you a series of scriptures. And after I get done, my question for you is, will you also see the exclamation point that God by His Spirit is putting on this text? And in doing so, what His Spirit would be teaching us today? Starting in Philippians 4, the Bible says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Psalm 55. Cast your cares on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Proverbs 12. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes Depression but a good word makes it glad. Isaiah 35, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. This God will save you. Psalm 34, I sought the Lord and He answered me and He delivered me from all my fears. 1 Peter 5 and 7, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. It's interesting that word anxiety in the Greek means to be drawn in opposite directions, to be divided within yourself. In the latest psychometric studies, Researchers have discovered that America is tied with the countries of Albania and Iran as having the most anxious people on earth. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, Our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strengths. It was Edwin Friedman who said, "A major criterion for judging the anxiety level of any society is the loss of their capacity to be joyful." It was Khalil Gibran who said, "Our anxiety does not come from thinking about the future, but instead from wanting to control it." You see, anxiety is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you very far. Anxiety is a lot like a toddler. It never stops talking. It tells you you're wrong about everything. And it tends to wake you up at 3 a.m. In fact, do you know what lies at the bottom of the ocean and twitches? A nervous wreck. On top of that, Anxiety is a spiritual principality and power that tries to dominate the people of God in the Pacific Northwest. But I've got good news for you today. Our God has not given us a spirit of fear, a spirit of anxiety, a spirit of timidity, a spirit of cowardice, but instead power, love, and a sound mind and watch what Jesus says look at the birds of the air for they neither sow nor reap nor, nor gather into barns yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not of more value than they? can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? consider the lilies of the field how they grow they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Therefore, do not worry. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. See, at its core, worry is unbelief. Anxiety is a conspiracy theory that you believe about yourself or God. It's the fear that maybe God won't be faithful. Maybe God won't come through. Maybe God won't keep His promises. Maybe you aren't qualified. Maybe you aren't good enough. Maybe you can't make it where He's taken you. I drove by a church the other day and I discovered that whoever was running their signage had the Russell billboard anointing. It said, don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. I don't know if they meant it in that way. And some churches help more than others. But I thought the message was good for today. You know, I had this crazy experience about uh, eight years ago. I was uh, flying into the city of of Las Vegas to, to visit Lighty while he still lived in, in work and worked there in. I made a mistake that I, I only regretfully made ever twice in my entire life at that time I was booking a ticket online and I discovered that there was a brand new airline that had just been developed that was offering tickets at unbelievable prices and I thought to myself this is the goodness of God in the land of the living let me book my round trip ticket on this brand new airline called Spirit (laughs) now I quickly found out it wasn't the Holy Spirit it was a demonic spirit on that airplane And I only made that mistake one other time in my entire life. I'd rather walk to Vegas. Now if you've ever flown in and out of Las Vegas, you understand because of the topography of that city, the mountain ranges around it, the hot air on the desert floor, the cold air coming from the heavens above, it it creates this natural convergence zone which almost always results in uncommon turbulence. I've made that flight dozens of times in my life and spent a lot of time with friends and different ministries and preaching down there and all sorts of things. And I had never quite experienced what I would experience that day on that flight. I don't know about you, but when you're sitting in a new airplane and taking off, utilizing a new airline, you're always looking around and investigating and seeing how it looks. And they gave me one of these window seats right by the wing. And I looked out on the wing, and that wing looked a little different to me. It looked like maybe they had bought this Boeing airplane from the Value Village down the street. It looked like it had seen some better days. It looked like it had been through a war or two. I kid you not, there was duct tape on the wing. I'm looking at the screws and the rivets and the washers and the nuts and I'm just hoping to myself, whoever put this together out of whatever discount shop they rescued it from knew exactly what they were doing. But it was too late. I was already committed to the great spirit of the sky. taken off and the plane ride was rather uneventful until we got ready to land and all of a sudden that hot air mixed with that cold air and that plane began to shake like the most wild roller coaster you ever been on in your entire life and it wasn't even the shaking that got me it was the sounds that came from the plane as it shook so violently I thought to myself, guaranteed them wings are going to shake right off. It's going to be a fuselage that lands on the tarmac. There is no way that this thing is going to survive. And you know what it's like when you hit turbulence. You expect it for 5 seconds, 10 seconds, and then it passes. But when it stays and it only grows in intensity, you get born again, again. You start confessing sin you never committed. You start forgiving people who never even wronged you. You just want to make sure you're right with God. Why? Because today I want to be with you in paradise. I had my drink out on the tray, all of a sudden that thing began to shake. The guy next to me gripped the tray like this was going to save him if we crashed into a mountain. (laughs) People start yelling on the plane, start cussing on the plane, start getting turned up on the plane. Like, what are you going to do? We're already in the air. And as the nervousness and the chronic anxiety and the barometric pressure of that airplane began to rise, once it was just about to hit a fever pitch and overtake the people and turn into a riot, finally the voice of the captain came over to PA. He said, this is Captain so-and-so. I know the plane is shaking a bit and you're experiencing a little turbulence. I want you to know that I've got a long track record of flying planes. I've never lost a plane and I don't intend to lose one now. It's going to shake a little bit more before we get on the ground but once we get on the ground your fears are going to be absolved. Why don't you just hang with me? It gets better. It doesn't get worse. Just hang tight. It will all be over shortly. And it hit me In that moment, that this is the way God speaks to us in the midst of turbulent seasons of our lives. Now, every person on that plane, including myself, had to make the decision. I'm gonna trust the pilot because he sees what I cannot see. I'm gonna trust the pilot because he knows what I do not know. I'm gonna trust the pilot because he's got a track record, he's never lost a plane, and hopefully, we're not the first. I've gotta put my trust somewhere because right now, all I feel is anxiety. Right now, I can barely breathe. Right now, I'm considering the mask to drop from the ceiling so I can get air just to make it to the tarmac. Right now, I feel like my world is shaking, but I've got to trust the pilots in the midst of my turbulence. One of the characters that I love in the scriptures is the prophet Elijah. We know absolutely nothing about his story until he pops onto the scene in 1 Kings 17 to confront the evil king of the fractured nation of Israel, a man named Ahab, and his wicked wife Jezebel. Now when stupid teams up with wicked, we call it bipartisanship, and it was just about the worst version of that you could ever imagine. Now growing up, I I, I always loved the story of Elijah. Elijah. Because he calls down fire. He slays the prophets of Baal. He does not die, but instead, he is taken up into heaven on a chariot of fire. Elijah is a man of faith, supernatural power, prophetic boldness. And I found a verse not too long ago that really encouraged me. And it comes from the book of James. Now, James was the half-brother of Jesus. He didn't get born again until after the resurrection. He's a little late to the party but the Holy Spirit still allowed him to write a book. In James 5 and in verse 17 he says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And I got so excited. This hero This person that I've studied, this figure in Old Testament history that I have idolized, this incredible man of action and power and miracles and mandate and prophetic witness, he has a nature just like us. And so I decided in that moment, I'm going to research the life of Elijah to see what insights I could glean from this mighty man of power. And here's what I found. Oh, there was a lot of miracles. Oh, there was a lot of supernatural events, a lot of great victories and public testimonies. And to be honest, I had mostly memorized these stories by heart. But I realized something. In between the miracles, in between the testimonies, in between the victories, Elijah dealt with the anxieties, worries, and insecurities of life. And God in that moment reminded me of what I had read in the book of James. See, Russell, Elijah was a man with a nature like yours. And see, this is what I love about Scripture The Holy Spirit isn't trying to hide the frailty of the human condition. Instead, it publicizes it. Why? Because in our weakness, His strength is made manifest. Oh, I hope you're encouraged when you read the Word of God. I hope you're encouraged when you come here on Sunday morning. If God can use the figures that I read about in this book, then it's not too far gone for me. If God can use a stutterer like Moses, an adulterer like David, a persecutor like Saul, then maybe, just maybe, God in His infinite wisdom and grace could use me right in the middle of my mess as well. And the biblical authors could have easily glazed over all the anxieties and insecurities of Elijah, but instead they take a front row seat to his narrative. Why? Because the transparency of the human condition binds us to the reality of what the text communicates. And in doing so, Elijah is not just an otherworldly figure that you can't resonate with. He's a broken man with a nature like ours. I want to share with you the three great anxieties of Elijah's life. I believe God, by His Spirit, is going to do a great work in our hearts today. First Kings 17, And Elijah the Tishbite said to King Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, leave here, turn eastward, hide in the ravine east of the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, for I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. The first ever Uber delivery service, a bunch of ravens and a prophet named Elijah. So Elijah did what the Lord had told him. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. But some time later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. How many times have you found yourself at a crossroads in your life? Because you did what God told you to do, but now the brook has dried up and the rain is long gone. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. He was only saying what God had told him to say. Judgment was coming to the nation of Israel in the form of a drought because the people had backslidden into the pagan worship of foreign idols. See, here's what I found. Sometimes we live our Christian lives expecting to be the exception to the hardship around us. And the more I follow God, the more I realize He doesn't exempt me from difficulty. He gives me grace in the middle of difficulty because His grace is sufficient for me. And hear me, friend. You don't get a peace that passes your understanding until you face something you don't understand. You don't get an all-sufficient grace until you face an all-surpassing crisis. You don't get healing without first being sick. You don't get breakthrough without first ever feeling stuck. See, following Jesus isn't my strategy to escape hardship. It's the secret to keeping my hope in the midst of my hardship. And the first anxiety that Elijah faces is the anxiety of resource. The thought in your mind that says, I'll never have enough. Here's what's sneaky. Every anxious thought brings with it a kernel of truth. No, it was true that the brook dried up it was true that Elijah would have to leave that place to go and find his next meal. But it was also true that if you keep reading the story, God had already prepared a widow from Zarephath in the region of Sidon who would bake him a meal, give him a drink, and simply become the next stepping stone in a long track record of God's unbroken faithfulness. So you've got a choice to make when the brook dries up. You can either sit on the shore and complain about the weather, or you can pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and keep walking because someone somewhere is baking a meal with your name on it just waiting for you to arrive. See, God feeds Elijah via the ravens, and then he feeds Elijah via the widow. And once the anxiety regarding resource was conquered, abundance was released that he had never seen before. See, so you've got to learn the art of replacing Satan's lies with God's truth. It might look like a drought in the land, but God's people are never forsaken and the righteous never go hungry. I know it looks like a recession. I know the interest rates are out of control. I know the gas prices have gone up. I know your 401k is a 201k. I know you can't afford to buy a house, but I'm telling you when the world is at its worst, the people of God are at their best because we are a part of an ever advancing kingdom now remember friend when God does a miracle the details are never accidental see ravens in Old Testament culture were unclean and widows were unsightly and yet God used the foolish things of the world to provide for Elijah for the God that we serve is not limited by your preconceived designations Somebody had asked me on one of my trips home from Vegas not too many weeks ago. They said, Pastor, I got a scenario for you. They said, what if somebody from the church flew to Vegas and they gambled all their money on the roulette table and they just so happened to hit the jackpot? And they come back to church the next Sunday and they want to tithe on their gambling winnings. Are you really going to accept their tithe? I say, you better believe it. I'll accept it with a big smile on my face. Bless God. If you want to pay the stupid tax and buy lottery tickets, if you win, just remember the house of God. Hear me, friend. Resource is amoral. It is not moral and it is not immoral. It is morally neutral. Resource takes on the morality of the user. That's why the scripture says that he has reserved the wealth of the wicked and stored it up for the righteous. Why? Because resource doesn't come from man. Resource comes from God. And when you begin to recognize that my supply, it's not actually the job that I work at. It's not actually the resume that I have. It's not actually the credentials that I bring to the table. My resource belongs to the one who owns all the hill and all the cattle's on the hill. The ones whose streets are made out of gold who sits on a throne in front of a glassy sea. All of a sudden it changes the dynamic by which you interact with money around you because no longer is it a controlling part of your identity it's a tool that you will use to help leverage your destiny how are we going to afford that next campus on the east side I'm not sure but I think I hear a raven flying I think I see a widow cooking I think God is probably going to orchestrate the miracle in a way that reminds us that even when we feel stuck and even when the brook appears to have dried up, God's got a plan and he always has the final say. Now watch the second anxiety Elijah deals with. 1 Kings 18, after a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab and I, I will send rain on the land. Now when Ahab saw him, he explained, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have, for you have abandoned the Lord's commands, and you have worshipped the image of Baal instead. And then Elijah said to King Ahab, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. The second anxiety that Elijah faces is the anxiety of abandonment. I'm the only one left. This anxiety is so great that it causes Elijah the prophet, the one who speaks on behalf of God, to have a false confession come out of his mouth. We know for a fact Elijah isn't the only true prophet because God tells him in the very next chapter, I've got 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. See, watch what Paul says in Hebrews 11 and 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Now, if it's true that you were made in God's image, then you as well carry within your words the creative power to frame your world. See, God tells Gideon he's a mighty man of courage, while Gideon is hiding in a winepress threshing wheat. Paul tells Timothy faith lives inside of him, while Timothy is just a scared-to-death pastor trying to lead a church in Ephesus. The angel Gabriel tells Mary she will conceive a child before she has ever known a man. When he baptizes Jesus, John the Baptist tells the crowd that this is the Lamb of God who is slain from the foundations of the world. See, friends, words carry within them the prophetic potential to form and shape the world around you. And when anxiety dominates your life, false confession will escape from your mouth. And false confession will convince you of false realities, which will lead to greater anxiety, thus starting the entire process all over again. See, if Proverbs 18 is true when it says the power of life and death are in the tongue, then what exactly are you releasing with your words today? it's like the ragtag group of disciples on the Sea of Galilee Jesus is taking a little midday snooze in the stern of the boat and all of a sudden the turbulence of the storm begins to shake them to the core and they cry out don't you care that we're perishing we are all gonna die see unchecked fear and anxiety. Produces untrue confessions about your future. See, many of you are familiar with the story. Elijah confronts Ahab. He has a showdown with the prophets of Baal. The true God of Israel answers with fire. Elijah goes absolutely buck wild, kills all the false prophets on Mount Carmel. And that's where we pick up for the third and final anxiety that manifests in the life of God's prophets. 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 1, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had executed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah, may God strike me and even kill me, if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you, just as you killed them. So Elijah was afraid, and he fled for his life. He went on alone into the wilderness traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who are already dead. Then he lay down and he slept under that broom tree. And as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. So he got up and he ate and he drank. And the food actually gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And then he came to a cave where he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah one more time. What are you doing here, Elijah? See, the more that I read this story, the more that I am convinced of this reality. The greatest battle Elijah faced wasn't with Ahab. It wasn't with Jezebel. It wasn't with the prophets of Baal or the backslidden people or the corrupt culture. The greatest battle Elijah faced wasn't the exterior one. It was the interior one and no matter how great his public victories were after the crowds were gone and the noise had died down all he was left with was the voices in his head and the anxiety of despair in his heart and maybe, just maybe that was the toughest battle he would ever face see Elijah faces the anxiety of resource in chapter 17 The anxiety of abandonment in chapter 18. And now he must deal with the anxiety of despair. And how? How can Elijah go from great man of faith to depressed person of sorrow? Because Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Maybe you're like me today. You've read this story a thousand times and you have unintentionally skipped over the hard stuff because you subconsciously rather resonate with the good stuff. But you need to know today your life will be filled with highs and lows, mountains and and valleys, times of incredible testimony only to be met with equally difficult seasons of challenge. And let me just go ahead and break some religious bondage off of your life today. You don't have to pretend when you're in the presence of God. He sees you right where you're at. And for every anxiety that you face, hear God today replace it with His truth. For the anxiety of resource, hear Him say, you are enough. For the anxiety of abandonment, hear Him say, you are not alone. And for the anxiety of despair hear this god say you will not die and i love how this story ends and the word of the lord came to him what are you doing here Elijah you know what's so funny is when I have read this story in the past I have inferred the tone and the tenor of the way that God must have been speaking to Elijah what are you doing here Elijah again we gotta go around this mountain again you will go back into the cave again I thought you already got prayer for your depression last week I thought you already got freedom for your addiction last month I thought you said you was never going to look at porn again. I thought you said you would never lose your temper again. I thought you said it was going to be all good from here on out. And you promised all the way up and down that things were going to change. What are you doing here again, Elijah? But see, now when I read it, I don't read it in the voice of a disappointed judge. But instead of a loving father Elijah, there's no cave that you'll ever hide in that I won't find you. Elijah, there ain't no ditch that you'll ever fall in that I won't rescue you from. There ain't no mistake that you'll ever make that I can't forgive you from. Elijah, where are you? Not Elijah the prophet. Not Elijah the pastor. Not Elijah the business owner. Not Elijah the world's best dad or the world's best mom. Not Elijah the high income earner. Not Elijah the best servant volunteer in the house of God. Not Elijah the super successful individual in the eyes of the world. But Elijah, my son, where are you? Because if you're walking through the dark night of the soul, I'm going to walk with you. I am your rod and your staff, and I comfort you. And in the green pastures, and by the still waters, I am with you. And even when you in the valley of the shadow of death, oh Elijah, you're gonna fear no evil, for I am with you, for I am your shepherd, and you lack nothing, and surely goodness and mercy will in fact follow you all the days of your life Elijah I don't want to know where you're at to punish you I want to know where you're at so I can rescue you because even if you face the battle of anxiety for the rest of your life I'll fight right next to you because this doesn't have permission to take you out for there is more in your future than there is in your past Elijah where are you come on watch your stand as we close let me be honest this morning the reason why I am preaching this message is because I so desperately need it you know people ask me how do you how do you determine what stories to teach on How do you determine which passages of Scripture to exegete? I just preach what I need most. Because there's a difference between a message that comes from you and a message that is birthed through you. years ago, Lighty, I, I experienced for the first time in my life something I didn't even have language for. Later on, the doctors told me it was a panic attack. Felt like an 800-pound gorilla was sitting on my chest, couldn't breathe. Felt like my heart was beating out of my chest, like I was going to die. All of a sudden, all these crazy thoughts are entering into my mind. Am I losing it? What's happening? It was right in the middle of all the COVID stuff. Where the world was done, it was over, we couldn't meet, we didn't know if we'd have a church the next Sunday. What's going on? The state's threatening to arrest us, sue us, fine us, you name it. And all of a sudden, my brain just snapped. I had that panic attack. And for whatever reason, Not really connected to anything that I really know going on in my life. Two weeks ago, it happened again. And in the midst of me feeling guilty for having an issue in my mind. I gotta preach on this stage. I gotta pastor these people. And you're telling me I'm still dealing with this stuff and COVID dead and over. And I ain't never wear no mask again. And we good, and we moved on from that season. But you're telling me we are here again. And so what did I do? I went into shame and condemnation mode and beating myself up mode. And Russell, if you could just get it together, and if you could just be better, and if you could just figure it out, you won't have to deal with this stuff Again, And you know what I heard in the midst of it? A father. He said, Russ, where are you? I'm looking for you. I'm searching for you. I'm seeking for you. And I'm going to walk with you through every valley that you ever encounter. I would venture to say I'm preaching to somebody today. You've been dealing with that anxiety that follows you around. You've been dealing with that depression that cripples your soul. You've been dealing with that out of control manic stress that seems to overtake your mind. It feels like every time you leave the church, another rain cloud hovers above your head. You got that heaviness in your life. You tried to shake it. You've gotten prayer a thousand times. You feel dumb for even coming forward. But I tell you what. There ain't one doctor like the great physician, Jesus. There ain't one therapist like the mighty counselor, Prince of Peace. And I'm here to tell you today where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and there is liberty for those who are in captivity. And I don't want you to leave here today without adding our faith one to another because I so solemnly believe God is going to do something special on your behalf. Let's pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask now for your ever-present help in our time of need. God, I thank you that you is close to the broken and the contrite. For a bruised reach, you will not break. You are not the God who shies away from my humanity, but you are the God who is drawn close to my weaknesses and frailty. And so God, today, we ask that by your spirit, you would renew minds hearts and souls that we would leave here today looking a little more like you and a little less like what you rescued us from so we say God do your best work in us and then give you all to praise the glory and the honor in Jesus name come on all God's people said amen now listen every time I close the service I tell you two things number one is this we're going to be back here next week <laughs> all five services invite a friend And you should. And you should. But number two, I always say the altars are open for prayer. But I'm telling you today, friend, under the unction of God's Spirit, the altars are not just open for prayer. The altars are for you today. And as I'm preaching, some of you, your heart's beating like this. And you're recognizing, no, he's talking to me. No, He's identifying some things in my life. And I simply would not want you to leave here today without an opportunity for God to begin the work of transformation in your life. So as we dismiss this service, if you're here today and you need prayer, I'm going to invite you out of your seat to come to this altar. Let's see God do something special in your life. God bless. Thanks so much for joining us for church. We'll see you real soon. If you need prayer, step out of your seat now.